1: Victory! Eddie Guerrero, Royal Rumble baby, you got one man hitting that ring every
0: two minutes. It's really a nasty affair. Mr. McMahon has won the Royal Rumble match. I never thought I'd ever hear myself say that. Only one of Shawn Michaels' feet hit the floor. I annoyed everybody playing himself. again to the Voice of Wrestling. This is Rich Critch. I'm starting a new series here on the website. Uh, It's called the Voices Wrestling Rumble Rewind. And what we're doing here is we're going through all the past uh, Royal Rumbles, or as many as we can. It's going to be a a tough task, but I think right now we have about 11 or 12 of them already scheduled out, so hopefully we'll get them all. But anyway, we're going to start with the first televised one. And I first, before we get into that, wanted to welcome our special guest. And, and with this series, I'm trying to get guests from all over the Internet. So um, not just Joe, maybe some other guys, people I know, friends, people from other websites and stuff. Uh, this first guy comes to us from placetobenation.com. It's a, he's a, a, a listener of the show, long-time listener of the show, long-time friend of the show, and it's Chad Campbell. Chad, how are you?
1: doing great.
0: How are you doing? Not, uh, not too bad, not too bad. We're doing a, a, a post New Year's Eve show and I think we both sound pretty good, so that's, uh, that's an accomplishment yeah. in itself and considering how early it is. But uh, first off, I mentioned you're from place nation.com. if you want to maybe explain for people that don't know uh, what Place to be Nation is and, and what you sort of do there.
1: Okay, I am the assistant managing editor there, so I'm one of the, uh, we call it the core four uh, guys that kind of behind the scenes put everything together, but basically place PlacetobeNation.com is, it's a wrestling website that we have, but we're also all facets of other pop culture areas. So we have sports, TV, movies, uh, a lot of MMA. Our MMA writer got credentialed at a UFC over in England uh, this past year. Oh, nice. Comics, gaming, and just even general life stories. And then I think one of our uh, other facets is we have a good many of podcast family over there. So we have about seven or eight podcasts. We update daily. There'll be at least two to three, uh, sometimes up to even five articles daily. So if you if that sounds interesting to you, you can go over to PlaceToBeNation dot com, check it out, follow us on Twitter at Place the number two, Be Nation, and uh, just give us a shot.
0: Sounds good. All right, awesome. So um, before we kind of get into this. Uh, I, I, when I initially asked for people that want to do the Royal Rumble you were the, one of the first ones that kind of jumped out and said yeah I'll, I'll do it what is it about the Royal Rumble that you, you've, you've always liked and obviously we're going to do the first televised one here so this is, this is the the nitty gritty the, the, the deep sort of history one what's sort of been your background or allegiance to the Royal Rumble or is it just something you just kind of liked
1: I think the, the match concept in itself is so approachable to even, like, casual fans. Like, I know growing up, uh, I started watching wrestling when I was three, four years old. So, my mom and dad would kind of just... You know, entertain me and every once in a while would watch a match here or there. But even now with the Royal Rumble, like at the 2008 Royal Rumble, I was able to buy the pay-per-view at my house there when I was still living with them and they came down and they were engrossed in that Royal Rumble. And my wife, who barely watches any wrestling at all, every once in a while we'll kind of get into the concept of the Royal Rumble. So I think it's the best concept that WWF or WWE's ever thought of.
0: No, absolutely, and, and I'm glad you sort of mentioned that uh, about the parents. We had uh, I was over at my buddy's house once. And we do we do a royal rumble pool. Like what we do is we take uh, who was ever there. We we put numbers in a hat, and then people pick it out, and then whoever comes out at that number or whatever, we do kind of a, a betting game to get a little bit more in it. We had um, his dad actually came down, and he was totally into it the whole show, and like he just came down to initially just say oh, I'll just get into the bet because you guys need an extra person. And then he didn't. I mean, he could have left at any point, but mm-hmm. we see him on the corner of his head and he's oh what number is that? Who's that guy? Or what's that? <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny to see that. No, it is it is one because it's just such a basic. Sort of idea, and I think with the nineteen ninety eight one or nineteen eighty eight, sorry, rather one, um, that's where you first see the concept. And I, I think initially, maybe initial thoughts before we get into the kind of the, the details of it, it, it's the basic Royal Rumble. I think this is <laughs> watching, going back and watching some of them, or or watching the other ones where do you sort of put this one? Maybe we don't have to rank it, you know, exactly, but where would you put this one compared to the other ones? I think it's like, it's the basic of the basic, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, Yeah,
1: it's, it's definitely bare bones. Uh, you wonder how much of the concept they really had in mind before they actually executed this because this Royal Rumble went up against the uh, NWA pay-per-view bunkhouse stampede. Mm-hmm. So you wonder if this was something uh, Patterson just kind of thought of and kind of the last minute to have something they could put on USA that was different, along with the Hulk-Andre thing. But uh, it's 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 probably, as we go through all these, if we... Uh, I'm planning on watching all the Royal Rumbles too, even the ones I'm not going to be doing the podcast with. And going in, I had it as like a bottom five Royal Rumble, is what I imagined it'd
0: be pegged as. Yeah, I've watched maybe six or seven already at, at this point. It's, uh, it's, it's at the bottom so far. But actually, uh, I, I found this out doing a little bit of research. I had not known this. I mean, this is obviously the first televised Royal Rumble, but it wasn't the first one. They actually had one on a house show on October 4th in St. Louis. Uh, yeah, it drew a little of under 2,000 people, uh, one 9 <laughs> 7, 6, So it wasn't very good. It was kind of a failure from that standpoint. So it's interesting to see if they sort of went back to it later and, and even put it up against an NWA pay-per-view. Obviously, they did well You know, after that. It became one of the big four pay-per-views, and it's obviously been a huge deal. But I thought that was kind of interesting. That one was won by the one-man gang. So he eliminated the Junkyard Dog for the, the final elimination for that one. I could not find it anywhere. I don't think there's any footage of it, even like I – and mean, we're talking 1987, so that, that's kind of – you're not going to find anything. There's not – Maybe you'll get a fan cam here and there, but yeah, I couldn't find anything in my research. So we'll jump uh, ahead to 1988 then, or jump back, sorry, to, to 1988. We're in the Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, I was kind of interested. I always, I'm i always a big stadium guy. Obviously, being a big sports fan, I'm, I'm always intrigued by stadiums. The Cops Coliseum is actually still around. Um, it's still standing in Hamilton. It was actually renovated. There was plans to renovate it because the Phoenix Coyotes, I don't know if you remember that, they were uh, looking to move. Right, a number of different places. Hamilton was one of the ones in there, and that was going to be the the stadium where they were going to move. So they were planning on doing renovations, or, or renovations rather. Um, the Coyotes didn't go there, so as far as I know, they haven't done renovations. And I couldn't find a whole lot that's going on at the Cops Coliseum anymore. So it's just kind of <laughs> it's kind of there, but uh, interesting thought. I'm always I'm always interested in these, especially when you see these stadiums and they're just long gone. You know, uh, especially in this area, a lot of the ones in, in this area are just not even there anymore. So kind of interesting. Uh, we have. Um, Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura on commentary. Before we get again, thoughts on Jesse uh, on the Jesse Ventura McMahon duo because a lot of us kind of grew up with the the, the Jesse Gorilla combo. Um, if you watched Saturday Night Main Event and all those sort of things, you had the Jesse Vince. What was your sort of thoughts of that dynamic?
1: Yeah, uh, Jesse and Vince is a duo. By the time I would started watching, uh, it was more Gorilla and Bobby or that type of duo. So I never. Yeah, same for me. Inter- Yeah, so I never really interacted with uh, Jesse and Vince – as a kid, but going back and listening to them, I really enjoyed their interaction with each other and think they complement each other well mostly. Uh, there's a couple of notes I wrote about this match in particular that kind of irked me more than I would say usual, but uh, but I generally think they're a pretty good duo together.
0: Yeah, there's a few times, and, and we'll get to that a little bit later, right? I think Jesse was sort of tongue-in-cheek, or maybe not even tongue-in-cheek, but sort of criticizing McMahon or criticizing the booking <laughs> like outwardly, and it, we'll get to that a little bit. I mean, it, it was actually the end were one that I thought was particularly interesting, but we'll sort of get to that when we get there. Um, first off, we have... Howard uh, Finkle gives us the instructions. Uh, we have 20 men. Uh, every two minutes, they will enter. Um, just about the same. He doesn't specify, though, the both feet thing. He just says throwing thrown over the top rope, and I made a note of that because that sort of changed over the years, and it sort of changed based on how they wanted to book the Royal Rumble, because there's particular ones where they made sure to let you know, oh, well, both feet have to hit the floor, and we'll, we'll get to those as we get into the, the different rumbles, but Played, the, uh, played a bigger factor in later ones. But yeah, I found it interesting in this one where he just said, yeah, you have to just go over the top rope. Doesn't matter about the feet, just over the top rope. So I right. always love the, the, the Finkel introduction. So we start out with Bret Hart into the ring, uh, still managed by Jimmy Hart at this time. This is just before um, he would actually do a face turn. I know they had talked about wanting to break them up, do that sort of stuff. They actually ended up just doing a face turn before that. Um, he was also in the ring with uh, Strike Force era Tito Santana. So we're, we're way back there. We have Bret Hart, heel Bret Hart, and Strikeforce Tito Santana. Um I did mention as well, this was a USA uh, television special. So as you mentioned, it went up against the uh, NWA pay-per-view at the time. But this is USA Today special. There's a bunch of other stuff on the card. We're just going to be reviewing the actual Rumble matches for this, if I didn't specify that. So unfortunately, we will not be doing a lengthy review about the Dino Bravo uh, weightlifting uh, competition. <laughs> did you watch that, though? Um, when you went I, have, back? I have seen that oh, my uh, God, plenty that the, of times. That is the most torturous, like, 70 <laughs> minutes of how long is that segment?
1: <laughs> he really uh, preps up before he does the big lift. There. And
0: then, uh, Jesse, what does he? Keep saying, he says something every single time. He's like, "No, it's not an official record. Like, we don't know if it's an official record. Like, we have yes. to weigh the, We have to weigh the bar later. We have to weigh." It's like, "All right." I mean, that thing. I can't imagine watching that on TV. That just it went on forever. Like that. That was fun. That was pretty funny. But uh, so we start off uh, obviously with Bret Hart and uh, Tito Santana. Uh, we're gonna run through the, the kind of the guys coming in. Um, the before we go though, um, Bret Hart. Uh, he actually lasted a long time in this one, and we'll get to him when he sort of gets eliminated, but. Initial thoughts of, of Bret Hart at this time. I know you said you kind of jumped in a little bit later, but it's sort of interesting to still see him in this heel Jimmy Hart role. He's a very different character from what we got used to, even even as a heel later in his career. This is kind of the the, the chicken shit Bret Hart in a lot of ways. But I think he sort of he in a lot of ways he got rid of it in this match as well.
1: Yeah, uh, com- coming up to this, there was not a lot of I would not consider his personality a hitman the way he performed in the ring mostly kind of begging off and sneaking around uh this the opening stanza between these two i thought the most interesting thing was I kind of thought they might do some more athletic or uh, some even chain wrestling just because it was them two and they wouldn't have to worry about guys stepping on them if they were rolling around on the mat. But they really kind of set a tone at the beginning that this is going to be kind of a
0: punch-kick type yeah. match. <laughs> yeah, especially those two. You thought you were in a little bit more of that, but uh, you, you didn't. So um, One thing I noted uh, initially that, though. Um, Pretty funny is... Um, and, and you don't see this, obviously, anymore. I mean, right now, the, the WWE's television is just spot-on. But I was one of the cameras was white-balanced and the other one wasn't, and they kept switching to it. The hard cam, I believe, was... Uh, the hard cam actually wasn't white-balanced, while the other one was. It was just kind of weird when they would switch. The colors would change, and it was just like, you, you, you don't see that anymore. I mean, it's like... <laughs> That's yeah. that's early nineteen ninety or nineteen eighty eight. You know, not really knowing TV and all that sort of stuff. One thing I found interesting: they had a uh, on-screen countdown, but it did not look like the crowd could see it. Did you? It, it yeah. seemed like later in the day or later in the match they started counting, or, or at least we get excited when a wrestler was coming out, but it didn't look like they knew that what the countdown was.
1: Right, right. Especially this first one, uh, the number three's Butch Reed, and he just kind of almost sneaks into the ring <laughs> before anybody looks like recognizes that somebody else is coming out uh so yeah i don't think i really don't think they were able to uh see the countdown
0: all right so as you mentioned butch reed uh, entered without much fanfare he just kind of walked up there um next guy was jim neidhart and at this point we have um before butch reed and, and hart were working together teaming up on santana at this point we had neidhart walk down so we have a three on one on santana so we had a very uh very obvious you know heels beating up baby face you know dynamic with this one so i thought that was pretty interesting um you you um interesting that they did not get him out, though, that there was three on one and and, and (laughs) the mighty Tito Santana could not be could not be thwarted.
1: Yeah, there was not a lot of desperation seen by this duo with them uh, triple teaming on Santana. And yet they still at at the very end before Jake comes out at number five, they kind of have him teetering on the ropes. But it it seemed a little unrealistic, like especially this big guy like the Ample that was fresh. Uh, and all three of them couldn't eliminate Tito there at the very end. That's a lot of resilience yeah, uh, for Tito.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jake the Snake Roberts uh, runs down to huge fanfare. He was he was super over at this point, and um, he runs down. He helps out Santana. He immediately tosses out Butch Reed, and the crowd's just going insane for, for Jake Roberts. And Jake's a guy that always – I mean, that that guy was on fire at this point and, and was really on fire through most of his, his, his WF career despite – not really ever getting to the level of a a main eventer or even a sub main eventer. I'd say, I mean, all the outside of his, you know, Randy Savage run, I think the rest of it was kind of just kind of there, you know?
1: Yeah. He's one of these interesting guys that had a lot of fanfare, a lot of proper popularity that never seemed to match his push. Uh, He never had a intercontinental title run or nothing like that. And he's someone that, in this match, you know they would chant DDT at various intervals, was very over. Uh, he does get the first elimination, but as we go on throughout this match, I think there were certainly people that the WWF brass positioned to have a bigger push within this match. And I would argue Jake was one of the two or three most uh, over baby faces throughout this match. Really only, I think, Duggan's the only contender that I can think of right offhand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right after this, the heart foundation tosses out, uh, Tito Santana. Um, We start noticing with this, uh, I made a note of this one, when uh, we have Harley Race come out after Jake Roberts and then uh, Jim Brunzel uh, comes out, the fans start to notice a little bit, and we sort of talked earlier in the podcast about um, them not seeing the countdown, but they sort of started to notice that people were coming in. I don't know if somebody was timing it in their head or was counting down in their head or if maybe there was a spotlight going on or if if there was an agent sort of pointing to the back or or something like that, but you started to see the crowd either kind of get the idea of what's going on here or get the idea that these guys are coming out at two minutes. And it seemed like they were pretty strict to the two-minute thing, which, they definitely in later years just kind of just sort of were like, ah, you know, come because uh, you'll see sometimes where guys were out for two minutes and you see sometimes where guys were out for a minute. A lot of spot based sort of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I don't and they think would, and they would. Yeah. This was more timer oriented than like if you see this spot occur, then you just run out, which just happens mm-hmm. later on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because they, they they'll go on and say approximately two minutes. I mean, I I know Finkel made a, made a mention of that every single time. Is that approximately every two minutes somebody will come out? Because sometimes yeah, it's like a minute and and someone's doing something and then Roddy Piper has to run out you know right and do that. So um after um after Jim runs out, we have Sam Houston. Any memories of Sam Houston in WWF? I have zero. <laughs> I have literally zero memories of, of Sam Houston.
1: Pretty much only in Battle Royals. I know he was in the WrestleMania Four Rumble yeah, and then right, uh, right. just as. Jake's half-brother. That's pretty much what I associate with Sam Houston. Not a lot of fanfare for his entrance.
0: And, and uh, in the match, he didn't do a ton um, as well. It really stood out. I mean, I, I, he's a half-brother uh, of Jake Roberts, and they both uh Grizzly Smith's other uh, fathers. But you didn't see much there. Sam Houston just kind of came out. The crowd was into him. He was fast-paced or whatever, but it, it was, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of <laughs> much for Sam Houston there. Um, after Sam Houston, we have Danny Davis, uh, then we have Boris Zukov, And then we had an interesting uh, entry, was uh, Morocco and Nikolai Volkov. Both men run out at the same time. Uh, Morocco is obviously ahead of, of, of Volkov. It, it, very weird, because then Morocco just kind of looks back, enters the ring, and then the referees stop Volkov. And then Volkov waits two minutes and then he just kind of slides in. Was this supposed to happen or what what was going on here? It's kind of. It almost looked like Volkov. I mean, I don't know. He might have just played it up like really, really well and was really good at his job, but it it was very odd. It just looked like Volkov missed his cue and just ran right in at the. But I don't know how that's even humanly possible that he would run in. After Morocco, but Morocco sort of looks back and kind of like, "What are you doing?" and then slides in. Yeah,
1: there it's and, uh, it almost looks like a baseball where sometimes you'll have it where they're running around the base pass, one right behind each other on a uh, whack baseball yeah, yeah. plate. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's yeah. that's what it looks like, and because it doesn't, nobody attacks them. Like it, <laughs> Morocco doesn't turn around and like deck him, and then like Volkov doesn't deck Morocco. It's just kind of like they're running in together, and they're. And they're I, I don't know. Yeah, events
1: flew. To Volkos, uh lack of IQ, so his, his <laughs> mental capacity was brought into question, and uh, I, I, the way it worked out, I would hope that it was a planned spot, and I think if I had to guess, it probably was. But Volkov was literally selling it because throughout this two minutes he is having a heated discussion with Joey Morella outside. And then a few other referees have yeah, to come yeah. over There's too, like two there. or three that are kind of deliberating with him, and he looks completely confused, and then actually Boris gets tossed uh, during this interval, so like him and Volkov even interact and say a few words, and then when number 12 hits, Volkov just slides in. So he did look completely confused and flabbergasted at what was going
0: on. Uh Jim Duggan's our next one out and he comes out to a huge pop and he postures to the crowd does it does his uh his somewhat normal USA stuff, but with this one you see a little bit of a different Jim Duggan, and and um, more uh, closer to the mid style Jim Duggan before he would become the, the Eugene like, you know, special like whatever the hell he was later in his WWF where he was just a total character and he, he with the thumbs up and the two by four and the, where he just completely gave up you know in a lot of ways and really just sort of I mean in a sense embraced what his character was supposed to be but really stopped being a great you know in ring guy but. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting how how close he was sort of the Mid-South Jim Duggan at this point. I know you're a pretty big fan of of Mid-South in that era. Did you you sort of see the same thing? Yeah, this
1: is a good kind of time period to see the turnover from where the Mid-South Jim Duggan was uh, mostly just like fearless he's not he's never been a character that's someone that you'd call the smartest wrestler in the promotion at any given time, but in mid south he was a standing tall not going back down baby face that was very fearless and you start to see that crossover into kind of the cheating just u s a shilling, uh quite frankly kind of mentally incapacitated himself w w f and then later on w c w duggan so he's still some of the stuff is starting to creep in here where he has the two by four and he is doing the thumbs up when he walks out, but, uh, but he had, was able to bring that in a little bit in his early run. And as he does walk out, Harley race had just been eliminated. And, uh, and, one of my favorite spots really of the match. I don't think Duggan did know this was happening, but as Harley passes Doug and he decks him right in the jaw <laughs> and, and probably the best work punch of the match. And, Duggan looks a little exasperated and gives chase to race and then turns right back around and gets into the room. So I enjoyed that spot too.
0: I I saw that one as well. It was pretty interesting. Uh, We had, uh, after Duggan, we had Ron Bass and B. Brian Blair, the other killer B are coming in there. Um, Afterwards we have Hillbilly Jim and then Dino Bravo and Hillbilly Jim is a guy. um, And we, uh, we make a little bit of mention of this uh, with, with Don Morocco. Um, you know, and his. Uh, this is obviously this is the, the the prime time of the juiced era uh, of WWF. I mean, these guys are gigantic, and and, and Morocco is obviously the the one that you always sort of remember as as at least to me, I always remember as the biggest guy. But man, Hillbilly Jim, he was big too huge. Yeah,
1: Don Morocco looks like if he stuck a pin in him uh, <laughs> some sort of liquid would come shooting out yeah, like or a just fire a hose. Inflator, yeah. uh, but he'll be the as somebody that I'd never, I mean I always kind of associated him as a little flabby and just like kind of a big country boy lumbering dude but during this match I was really taken aback like with his with his muscle definition and everything. He was jacked. I was shocked actually.
0: Yeah, and, and speaking of Jack, uh, after Hillary Jim comes Dino Bravo out to the <laughs> ring, and, and earlier in the match, uh, earlier in the event, he had the, the the weightlifting competition, and Jesse makes a lot of mention of that, and obviously that's something we mentioned. Don't don't go watch because it's awful. It's forty forty minutes of <laughs> my dog even hates it. <laughs> I made my dog watch it, and he hated it too. But yeah, it's just it's just forty minutes of just. Awful, awful. Just Jesse's screaming about nonsense and, and and you think you're used to pro wrestling angles being you know, weightlifting competitions is where the guy's gonna drop the, the thing on his chest or he's gonna do something, but not this one. This is just you know rubber lifting and that's it.
1: Right. This was right around the time of the Road Warriors powers of pain weightlifting competition where they brawled and used the weight as weapons. We didn't get that here. It's basically to show Dino is a cheater and dino's another guy in the jag up category even watch him jog out to the ring seemed like a pretty uh, heavy task for him he was kind of sucking wind and looked a little blown up getting into so the ring yeah that,
0: that's a guy i mean even we talk about the don Morocco's of the world and even the warlord who couldn't like move his arms or whatever but bravo was just like the most unathletic guy that he just even i mean i can't remember any Bravo matches where he did, you know, obviously the WWF era, Bravo, where he did anything like remotely like athletic where I would say, wow,
1: I've, I've you know watched,
0: what I mean? There was nothing, Yes, yeah,
1: nothing in the WWF. I have watched uh, some early AWA Bravo matches like 82, 83 era. And he's not quite as jacked up, but he certainly showed a little more. I mean, you know, it's, it's not like Tiger Mask in the ring, relative, but, yeah. but relative, <laughs> relative to what we see here, it's a lot uh, this
0: night and day. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right around this time, we had uh, Sam Houston, uh, who we talked about a little bit earlier. He had a rough fall. He, he got onto Ron Bass's shoulders. He was up on the top rope and, and for some reason was on Ron Bass's shoulders. Uh, Duggan goes up. He punches Ron Bass. Bass sort of falls towards the ropes and then just kind of drops Sam Houston. Houston falls right on his face. It's definitely the hardest fall you're going to see in this match, in a match where a lot of the, like we mentioned, a lot of the big dudes weren't really into taking (laughs) really hard falls. They were just kind of going over the ropes how they did. But this Houston one, I mean, he went right from Ron Bass's shoulders, fell like, I, I think, face first onto the mat. And I know Vince initially and Vince and Jesse are like, oh, my God. what? You know, Vince is like, oh, that's a painful fall. I mean, I don't know. I'm assuming he knew that was kind of going to happen, but it seemed like everybody was sort of reacted like, oh, wow, crap. I hope he's OK. Like that was it was a tough fall. Yeah. And he
1: sells it well too. Walking to the back wounded. It was the most impressive elimination, like you said, in this match, because it was essentially a, a bump straight from the equivalent of the top rope down to the floor. So it was a nasty little bump.
0: Uh, right around this time, we also had uh Morocco, who we just mentioned, uh, tossed out Bret Hart, and, and this, um, just to venture, puts this over huge. That you know, Bret lasted. Um, obviously, he was the first one in the ring. He lasted 25 minutes and 42 seconds. That was the longest time, obviously, in, in this match. It got, it got broke last year, but you yeah, had 10 guys to the match. That's going to happen because this one obviously only had 20. Uh, next year's had 30. But very interesting to see Bret Hart and sort of the, the pseudo push he was getting at this point. This is not. Um, They didn't turn him face for a few years. He was still sort of in the Hart Foundation, but you sort of start seeing the build towards let's make Bret Hart something more, and I think you got a little bit of that in this particular match.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to watch the plight of Bret kind of around this era, because you have his lengthy run here, uh, the the WrestleMania 4 Battle Royal thing, and then... They kind of reset and still keep him with Neidhart, even though they were talking or wanting to split them up. They still keep him with Nightheart. And then even later on, like his fall 1989, he has a long singles run where they tested again. And then again, though, throughout 1990, he's still with Nightheart. So it really took a while, it seems like, before they kind of got behind Bret Hart. Uh, but that could be rewarding to the viewer because if he's someone that you started to take notice around this time in 1988, by the time he does beat someone like Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental Title at SummerSlam '91, you really feel like you've invested a lot into his character, and uh, it's it's very rewarding to see him succeed like that.
0: Absolutely, and he, um, you know, mentioned uh, he he won the uh, WrestleMania Four uh, Battle Royal just after this, but then yeah, as you mentioned, he sort of floundered for a little bit. There was always that idea that we're going to do something with him or that he was, he was you know, obviously the star of, of that tag team and he was one of these you know, real good wrestlers, but he's, still, he's not quite there. He's still got a lot of ways to go before he gets there. Um, uh, after Dino Bravo, we had the Ultimate Warrior come out, and I thought this was particularly interesting because I see Warrior, and, and, and you sort of always assume that when you're seeing the Ultimate Warrior that this is going to be a big deal, that, oh my God, it's the Ultimate Warrior because he's always been a star. He's always been a guy that, that has been to the, you know, near the top or whatever. And later in this year, he feuded with Andre and, and obviously Rick Rude. And eventually two years later was, you know, won the world title and, 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 won the, or, you know, was main eventing WrestleMania or whatever. At this point though, not a whole lot of fanfare for ultimate war. I mean, the fans are into him, but Vince isn't too, you know, outwardly, Oh my God, it's the ultimate warrior. It's just kind of like, Oh, ultimate warriors coming out.
1: Yeah. I think you can make an argument. This is one of the last times that you'll see him in WWE or in any promotion he was in where he doesn't necessarily look like a star uh, he only debuted a couple months before this in the promotion but uh, yeah, he doesn't have a ton of fanfare at all when he comes out there Vince is certainly not pushing him up like he was pushing other people throughout the match his elimination is very anti I'd actually forgotten that he was in this match and I was wondering how he got eliminated and just, just if you're going back and looking on paper at this roster, you would have thought the Ultimate Warriors by far the biggest star in this match, kind of in wrestling history. But uh, it it didn't turn out this way uh, by the way the match was performed.
0: No, not at all. And he was only in for uh, three minutes and fifty one seconds. And uh, I mean, obviously it took two guys. It took uh, Dino Bravo and One Man Gang who who came in after Warrior to, to, to knock him out. But. It wasn't like this, you know, and that's I went in initially thinking, OK, how are they going to get Warrior out of here? Because it's just a bunch of these bums. I mean, I don't know what, what is Sam Houston going to do, you know, or, uh, what, you know, what's up, or, or he got out, out too. But it, it, you wonder, you know, there's all these bums. Who are they, how the hell are they going to get Ultimate Warrior out? And, I mean, it, it, it took two guys, but it wasn't much. It was just kind of a clothesline over the ropes and, and Warriors out after three minutes. So I found that particularly interesting. Uh, one-man game comes out after that, and then followed by um, we're doing a countdown for the last guy, and Jesse <laughs> makes a pretty funny comment. He goes, uh, the last man is coming in. It isn't you, McMahon, is it? And McMahon's, oh, no, 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 definitely not. No, no, no. I would never. No, and that's kind <laughs> of funny because, obviously, your, your 1999 Royal Rumble winner is Kennedy <laughs> McMahon. But at this point, no idea. He's like, what are you talking about? No. I'm not going to be in the Royal Rumble. It's
1: hard to believe that Vince is a – it's still unbelievable to think that Vince is a world champion and former uh, Royal Rumble winner. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that was a humorous moment kind of to look back in retrospect and hear that.
0: A lot of the stuff, um, and I've heard this discussed elsewhere. If if you never had the Vince McMahon character, what would you think of announcer Vince McMahon, or how does it sort of change for you? Because I think it's an interesting question because it's it's so funny watching these go back because it's almost just like a joke anything he says because you're like, dude, you're gonna, I mean, like you know what he's gonna do in like ten years, and it's just hilarious. But yeah, I think if we didn't have that, I don't know what we would think about Vince McMahon as, as the announcer.
1: Yeah, and even I would say the worst part of that is like his primetime zoo baths air. Mm-hmm. Like 1991, I've been watching a lot of that stuff in the past couple of months. And I mean, this is a <laughs> CEO owner of a big company even at that time. And he's wearing the the ugliest clothes I've ever seen. These two <laughs> pants. He's, you know, wanting to go. He's scaring Bobby Heenan with Jake the Snake snakes and all this stuff kind of creeping around. It, he's such a shill. At that time, and even like in 1991, that's only two years from when he played a, a very effective heel in USWA. And right. of course, his later on reincarnation in WWF. It's amazing to watch that transformation in only about seven years.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, the last one out, as, as mentioned, was uh, Junkyard Dog. He came in at number 20. Um we have all these guys out. Uh Junkyard Dog gets uh, eliminated by Ron Bass. We had One Man Gang who came in, and, and, and obviously we mentioned he eliminated Ultimate Warrior, but also eliminated uh, Jake Roberts to a lot of fanfare. Jake Roberts was in for twenty one fifty two. 52. Uh, one Man Gang and Dino Bravo also eliminate Don Morocco. Uh, one Man Gang takes out uh, B. Brian Blair, Hibbilly Jim, and then eventually takes out, as we'll mention in a, in a little bit, his own man, Dino Bravo. But a lot of eliminations. We had six eliminations for One Man Gang. Obviously, it doesn't sound like a whole lot when you get, you know, Kane has 11 or whatever, you know, the record was, but at this time it was a record. Last, year, you know, the next year it was beat by Hulk Hogan, but when you imagine there's only 20 guys in here and one man getting takes six out of I me, mean, he was positioned as a pretty big deal.
1: Yeah, and that would be, this was kind of a. Uh, a sabermetric metric type thing, but I'd be interested to see if anybody that's came in either next to last, because one main game was the next to last person to enter. I'd be kind of interested if anybody that's came in next to last or last is eliminated more than one main mm-hmm. game did here, because I can't right offhand think of anyone that has eliminated six or more that came in at number uh, 29 and 30
0: after this. but 19. Right. Well, you got, you got a question for me, so if I have some time today, I will uh, look that <laughs> up for you and Discuss, make a little note on Twitter, or maybe make a little yeah. article out of it, or something. So thanks. Now I now I'm going down a wormhole. With it it
1: kind of just came to me. I appreciate. Head. It. I'm sorry.
0: Actually, I'll make Mookie do it. I'll make Mookie yeah, do it. Yeah. It'll take him. It'll take him two minutes. And yeah, he should have. Uh...
1: I don't want to speak for him, but I I, I think it's certainly not too tall a to task for him.
0: <laughs> no, and even if even if not, I mean you buy his book once, and and he's he'll do whatever you want for it <laughs> forever. So uh, we're down to Dino, One Man Gang, and, and Jim Duggan is the final three. I found this. Uh, I mentioned One Man Gang eliminated Dino Bravo. This is a very interesting elimination. Uh, Dino uh, holds up One Man Gang, or holds up uh, Jim Duggan rather uh, for One Man Gang to close line. Um, the, the idea is that Dino Bravo is going to hold him up, go to the ropes, go near the ropes, and, and one man gang is going to close line uh, Jim Duggan and knock him out, but somehow not knock out Dino Bravo who's holding him up behind him. I, I don't know what the I don't know what their plan was uh, <laughs> here before it, it all went awry, but it, it's I've always the hold up in wrestling has always been something that, that that's amazed me. I mean, every time a guy holds a guy up and he's going to hit him with a chair shot, it's or, or you know Shawn Michaels used to do it with Diesel where he's going to hit him with the with the sweet chin music. It's like the guy's gonna, you know, his head's gonna fly back into you. Right. Like, like, why are you holding him up for me? Yeah. Just put him in a corner, like, to just get out of the way, or like, hold him up and then dive out of the. It's, it's I've never understood the hold up. I mean, it, I think there's been like what four or five successful hold ups in. in yeah yeah your know, wrestling history it's, it's, it's
1: usually not good news for the hills uh <laughs> it's It's almost kind of like a percentage play. It's like, are you really banking that the one percent time this does work is gonna be this time? so I don't know why you would do that. This one was even worse or uh, worse than most though because Dino does practically almost like as as fast as Dino can he moves to the ropes. So it clearly set up what was about to happen and like you said, one man gang clothesline line him out and then Frenchie Martin, which the managers were allowed at ringside for this Royal Rumble, but Frenchie Martin dives on top of uh Dino in a funny moment and they're gone and we're down to our final two.
0: And Dino couldn't move, but I, I love the character. I mean, I, I think he, he he knew how to play the character, and the fans just hated him. They just despised Dino Bravo. And I thought he, especially with the manager, um, he played a good part in that. But, yeah, I mean, I, obviously as the wrestler, I didn't like Dino Bravo, but the character of Dino Bravo was pretty fun, uh, especially at this point. So, yeah, we're down to one-man gang and Jim Duggan. Uh, one-man gang goes for another clothesline, and uh, end again not working out very well for one-man gang. Because uh, Jim Duggan then uh, lowers the top rope, and one-man gang very slowly topples over to the floor. <laughs> and your winner is Jim Duggan, the winner of the 1988 Royal Rumble, and not a whole lot of fanfare. They just kind of say, "All right, Duggan's the winner." And again, you have to make you, you have to notice that uh, this rumble wasn't for a title shot. It wasn't for the Intercontinental title shot. It wasn't for the World title shot. It wasn't for a world title, which we saw in later rumbles. This was just kind of the okay, you're the Royal Rumble winner, hooray! And
1: yeah, not not a lot of prestige. I mean, even like the you could tell they didn't necessarily know this was going to be a uh, a slam dunk concept because they, of course, didn't have like a ring apron or any signage that said Royal Rumble like around the ring. It was just a mm-hmm. generic ring. And and Duggan Winnin was a, a nice feel-good moment, I guess, for uh, one of the more popular guys. Uh, this is something, I think if you... Look back in history with what we know now and you hear Jim Duggan won the first Royal Rumble, it seems a little suspect and fishy, uh, even worse as the next year's Royal Rumble winner. But when mm-hmm. you when you go through the list of the 20 guys in this match, it doesn't look quite as suspicious as he honestly was one of the top guys within this match.
0: And you will notice through the names that we mentioned there that you're missing a lot of the big guys, a lot of the big stars. Obviously, this is a TV special, and this is how TV wrestling was sort of done at that time. You you, you don't have Hogan in there, you don't have Savage. Uh, Piper was in a pseudo retirement at this time, so he uh, he wasn't out there. Uh, Ted DiBiase was a guy that wasn't there. Um, any other kind of big guys? I'm missing Andre, Andre the Giant, obviously. Yeah. that. Yeah. and then
1: uh Rude would probably be another <laughs> kind of lower level uh, person. Even like uh, somebody like Rookie Steamboat, which you know, oh, right, Rude yeah. and Steamboat uh had their singles match early on this show so they didn't do double duty but uh and then Hogan and Andre did their little segment right before this match which you could argue was kinda the quote unquote main event of the show. Yeah. But uh but yeah, so those those major guys even somebody like the Hammer, I was kinda perplexed why he wasn't in it. because uh, he was a decent name at this time still.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, w- when you look at the set of fanfare, and, and maybe I'll ask you this question, um, looking at the match, guys that sort of stand out, maybe uh, A, the guy that you think at that time was the biggest star, or maybe the, the perception was the biggest star, and then B, the guy who they sort of positioned as the biggest star that Vince put over, that Jesse put over, those sort of guys. Because I think initially, I mean, you, you, we talk about Duggan, and you're kind of like, Jim Duggan, but when you look at this, hes I mean, he's up there.
1: Yeah, he's he's up there. I would, If I had to pick one guy that I would say was uh, positioned as the biggest star in this match. I would say one-man gang, just as a possible... Uh, I, don't, I don't know for sure if they knew what they were doing at WrestleMania 4... But it felt like with one man gang and his actual elimination, because it wasn't a case of like Duggan power slamming him over, doing an offensive move. He essentially won with a defensive move. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that was kind of positioning gang as a possible challenger for whatever they did at WrestleMania four. As far as somebody that kind of got, I guess, a rub for this match, I think Bret Hart is certainly the uh, highest one there.
0: It definitely, and Bret Hart he was uh, obviously the first entrant, and then he also had the longest uh, time at 25:42 uh, that lasted another year before, obviously as you mentioned, he had 30 guys next year, so it's hard to kind of <laughs> topple uh, records in that sort of sense. Um, One Man Gang mentioned he had the most eliminations with six, and that record would stand until the next year when Hulk Hogan uh beat that but yeah obviously uh, Jim Duggan's our winner um notes coming out of the, the the Royal Rumble anything else you had and then maybe if you can give a rating we'll do a we'll do 1 through 10 sort of ratings on this rumble and and, and your overall thoughts on the legacy of the the 1988 Royal Rumble uh
1: so a couple of things uh one thing that I found humorous was uh Hillbilly Jim came out and he did actually eliminate Jim Nightheart and then and like my wrestling geekdom, I was wondering if uh, Bob Euchre had money on him because Bob Euchre was a big <laughs> fan of him in the WrestleMania for uh, Royal Rumble. The other person is Danny Davis, who got a, a shockingly kind of a little bit of a push here.
0: I, I mean, he was. It yeah, was in for 17, yeah. 50, uh, 17 minutes and 51 seconds. I think he was the third longest um, or, or the fourth longest tenured guy in there. Jim Neidhart was number three. Right.
1: So he was being. Sneaky throughout most of that, but it, it's just kind of humorous, again, to look back in retrospect and see, like, Ultimate Warrior and Danny Davis going toe-to-toe <laughs> with each other
0: at this And Davis, he, I mean, he was getting some super heat at this yeah. time, too. I mean, when he comes out, I, mean, I think, I mean, looking at heels, I would say he was the number one heel in this match, at least. Yeah, I think it's the pants. His, his, the pants are pretty yeah,
1: yeah, that's instant hill heat is those pants. Uh, <laughs> the other person was a JYD. I'd watched a lot of 1990 footage uh, with Car Dog lately, and he was absolutely dreadful in his uh, last series with Flair. Here he wasn't quite as bad. I mean, he wasn't in for very long at all, but he was at least able to get over the top rope, which I'm not sure he could have done in 1990. The, the overall match, just to give an overall match thought, I I think this one's kind of for completists only. Uh, a very bare-bones edition of the Rumble that we were talking about in the beginning. They were kind of working out some of the kinks. Uh, you, you seem to have a basic structure there that could work, but they would obviously improve upon that as they went forward. And I would say, uh, I would only recommend this one if you want to watch all of them. I think if you want to pick, 10 or 15 of the greatest rumbles. This doesn't make the list. And that's kind of, honestly, a lot of the WWF concepts, a lot of them, the first one out of the gate wasn't necessarily the uh, one of the better ones where it's, you know, SummerSlam or WrestleMania. I don't think it's making anybody's top, Top five or ten list, probably. Uh, so if I had to give a match rating, I'd probably give it a three out of ten. It's a, it's it's a fairly quick watch. I wouldn't call it a good match. It's it's fairly quick at about thirty thirty five minutes or so, probably from bell to bell. uh So not not a long watch. There's some kind of entertaining stuff just to see the first televised Royal Rumble, but I wouldn't say it's a good match. So three out of ten.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna give it a 2 out of 10. And yeah, it, it's, as you mentioned, if, if you really, really want to watch every single Royal Rumble in order. You can do it, but I mean, if you, if you really want to do that, skip to 1990. You'll get a better right. experience. I mean, there's really, it's really devoid of, of the stories that we saw in later Rumbles where it was very much, okay, this guy's feeding with this guy. What is he going to do when he comes in at that time? Or, you know, how is this guy going to, you know, a guy like a Rick Martel or whatever in the 91 Rumble was in there for a long time and they built that up for a while. They said, oh, he, you know, he was an Iron Man in the Rumble or Greg Valentine was an Iron Man one year. And they do this sort of stuff. This one, they don't really make a whole lot of mention of that. I mean, they make mention that Bret Hart was in for a while. But that's basically it. You don't really have feuds going on through this match, and and that might just be because of the guys that are in it. I mean, you don't have guys. I mean, Danny Davis had issues with a lot of guys in the ring, but he just kind of came in and was just Danny Davis, and people just beat him up. And and it it, it the the deep level storytelling that you get in rumbles, and, and, and as we sort of mentioned at the beginning, wasn't here. It was just kind of guys coming in, as you mentioned, a lot of one on one, a lot of very basic sort of heels versus faces. It, it there wasn't a whole lot there. There wasn't a whole lot of dynamics. So yeah, if you if you Really, really, really want to watch every single one of them in order. You can do it It's 30 minutes, but you can skip the nineteen ninety. I don't think you're going to miss much.
1: Yeah, I didn't make a note of any – I seem to remember there was one point where two either heels or faces were going at each other, but it was very brief, and that was – Literally, the uh, Boris Zhukov and Harley Race actually had a mm. little bit of heel-versus-heel interaction.
0: but and That was just Harley Race was just punching yes, everybody.
1: <laughs> yes, Race was just, like, headbutting and punching everyone. That is the only time I noted any kind of one-offs where people would go against their uh, party line, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so that wraps up our review of the 1988 Royal Rumble. Chat before we get out of here. Uh, if you want to mention uh, again, uh, place to be nation uh, what you guys do there, uh, where you can see your work, and where you guys can be followed on on Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff.
1: Okay, place to be is the website. We have all facets of pop culture covered there. We'll have daily articles for you. Even on Christmas, we posted a podcast, which I don't know why, but we did. And uh, you can you can follow us on uh, Twitter, like us on Facebook at place to be nation. Uh, follow us on twitter at place the number two b nation b nation and uh, my own personal twitter if you'd like to give me a follow i'm starting to kind of interact and try to interact more on twitter is chaddy c-h-a-d-d-i-e 151 uh it's a nickname i can't live down everybody wants to lengthen <laughs> out my name but uh that's where we're at so at uh, chaddy 151 is my own personal
0: twitter all right, Chaddy. Well, thank you for coming. On. <laughs> I'll say Chad, just for the constant. Thank you. We're, we're, we're professionals here, so all right, I Thank you for coming on and, and reviewing the 1988 Royal Rumble with me. And we'll be next time with another. We'll be back next time uh, with another Voices of Wrestling Rumble Rewind.
1: Take care. All right. See ya.